Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Well, go with me in your Bibles this morning, 2 Kings chapter 6. We are in this series we have entitled Divine Rescue. This past week, we observed a 22-year remembrance of that day. If you were alive, you know where you were. You know exactly what was going on when you got the news. There has been an attack. 22 years ago. Just consider if we would have had the information ahead of time. If we would have known what was about to happen when the call went through the towers, go back to your offices, everything is fine. When it should have been, and there was one security and one firm that was in the second tower that said, get out of the building now with a megaphone, get out. And there are people alive today because someone followed his own training for which he had prepared those people and he said, get out of this building. And they're alive because of him. And he passed away, going back in. Many people would love to have that inside information. What stocks are going to go up this week? How would you use that kind of information to know what is going to happen? Who's going to win the, who's going to win the game this afternoon or Monday night? By how many points? What would you use that kind of information to accomplish? The future is completely known to God, loved ones. We get to this account today and we see it that this is indeed how the people of God are to fight our battles. It's on our knees. It's in prayer knowing he's already won the war. There's not one element, not one molecule that resides outside of God's sovereign control. Loved ones, God is the only one who can bring good out of bad situations. So no doubt, if you watch some of the remembrances this week, that people remember their loved one was taken from them 22 years ago. And no doubt, they go through all the scenarios of what would life be like. And maybe you're here this morning and you're running through scenarios in your mind. Well, what if? And what about that relationship? And if I would have known? And, and what if I could I didn't know? And God is sovereign over every single situation. Listen to what that says in the Proverbs, this came up in our, those of us that are reading through the Bible this year, this came in our text this week. The Lord, Proverbs 16, 4, has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. God is sovereign. He is not the author of evil, but he's the only one that can bring good out of evil. That's what Joseph said to his brothers, what you meant for evil, ha <laughs> ha, God has the final word. 
We sing it, you've never failed me yet. And there are times when we think, where are you, Lord? But when we look from, from back from eternity as the people of God, we will only and forever say, he has always been and forever will be nothing but gracious and faithful. This is our God. Moses led the people out of Egypt through the Red Sea, through the wilderness, and there Moses would die. And then Joshua would lead the people of God across the dry Jordan riverbed into the promised land. They would take that first city of Jericho. We looked at the time when Gideon, you mighty man, the angel of the Lord said, you mighty man, as he was hiding out, go deliver God's people. And God used him, the no-hoper. I'm the smallest, I'm the littlest. And then we got into the United Kingdom and Saul was the king and we met there David and his dad didn't even call him to the coronation party. He was the littlest, he was just uh, the kid out back with the sheep. Go get him, Samuel said. And how God delivered that battle into their hands as he defeated Goliath that day. Last week, we looked at the account in the now divided kingdom when Elijah sent out the word to Ahab, meet me at Mount Carmel. We're going to have a showdown. You bring all your prophets, you bring all your gimmicks, and I'll come in the name of the living God. And they all day chanted and ranted and cut themselves and nothing, no fire, not one spark, not one drop. And then Elijah says to all the people, what God says to you again today, come near to me. Come near to me. And he prayed a very straightforward and simple prayer. He didn't work anything up. He just simply prayed, God, show yourself to these people. Send fire. And it wasn't destroying the people. He didn't destroy Elijah or the people. He took the sacrifice and the altar and the wood and the water and left nothing. And all the people fell down. The Lord, he is God. You think? Right? And judgment came upon those prophets that were leading people away from the living God, which is always the way, it's always the path to eternal death. And it's so enticing. It's so enticing. Now, as we go in our Bibles this morning to 2 Kings chapter 6, I want to share with you just behind the scenes, just the reality of a prophet of God. What were the qualifications biblically for a prophet of God? In the Old Testament, we talked about Elijah last week. We're going to talk about Elisha this week, the successor to Elijah. Here are the qualifications that a prophet must be an Israelite. He must speak in the name of the Lord. Everything he tells, everything he prophesied had to come true. It had to be consistent with previous revelation that God had already given. He must never, ever, ever encourage anybody to worship a false god. That would be a clear indication, red flag, you are not legit. And then lastly, everything he prophesied had to not only be consistent with everything else that came before, not out of line with Moses or Abraham Isaac, Jacob, everything had to be in line and, and further revelation would come, but everything that he said must come true. If he said fire was going to come from heaven, fire better come from heaven. 
Or he's not a man of God. He's not a prophet of God in this way, in this unique way. Elisha was called to ministry in 1 Kings 19. You can just jot that down on the, on the, on the side, or I'm, I'm just going to go back. And, and when Elisha comes into ministry, at first, he hem-haws a little bit. Elijah, you know, this fiery guy, comes along and he sees Elisha at the end of uh, 1 Kings 19. He sees him out and he's plowing, hard worker, 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. And he, and he said, uh, left the oxen, verse 20, ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and my mother and then I'll follow you. And Elijah said to Elisha, go back again for what have I done to you? Now listen, just as you hear this, read what Elisha did in response to this. Okay, Elijah said, come, you're, you're the next up, follow me. And he said, hang on, let me go tie up all the loose ends first. Some of you are waiting for your life to get straightened out and then you're gonna serve the Lord. Okay, it's never gonna happen. When I get my finances straightened out, then I'll give to the Lord. When I get my time and my schedule straightened out, then I'll serve the Lord. You're gonna die before that happens. And then you'll stand before the one who gave you your life. And I've done my part and I've told you. And you will, you're accountable for what you do with it. Listen what happens to Elisha. He's like, oh. And he returned, verse 21, from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. This, in other words, is he burned the ships. If he was a fisherman, he went and cut up his dad's boat and burned it and said, I'm all in. I'm not going back to try out my, my farming skills again. You've called me, the Lord has called me, I'm all in. When the transfer of ministry happened in 2 Kings 2, Elisha was persistent and he stayed on the heels of Elijah. He wouldn't let him out of his sight. And Elijah said, all right, go on back. And he said, I'm not going back. I'm staying with you. Go on back. It's okay. You can go back. And all the other prophets, come on, leave him alone. He said, I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying next to you. And the, the promise from Elijah is ask what you want. He said, here's what I want. If I'm with you when the Lord takes you, I want a double portion of what he did in your ministry. I want a double portion on my ministry, on my life in ministry. And in, in 2 Kings 2, you see the account where they're walking and a chariot of fire comes. That's why we're getting the background to this. A chariot of fire comes, separates Elijah from Elisha. And Elijah is taken up, not in the chariot of fire, He's taken up in the whirlwind, the chariot of fire separated Elisha from Elijah, and he saw him taken up into heaven in a whirlwind, and then he came back and Elijah left one thing behind and it was his coat. And he comes back and all the prophets, he were like, you shouldn't go, leave him alone and follow us, everybody's over here. And Elisha stands his ground and he comes back to the, to the river. He comes back to the brook. How is he going to get across? And he takes Elijah's mantle, his coat, and he puts it down on the water, and it parts, and everybody knows. Something happened to that guy. This isn't a guy operating in magic. This is, a, this is an individual that the Lord has designated. You better listen to him. My spirit rests on him. And if you go through the account of Elisha's ministry, he is exactly double in all of the miracles that Elijah had. Elisha has, in the record, two. 
to one. Exactly what the Lord, he answered his prayer, specifically and precisely. Elisha learned how to pray. Where do you think he learned how to pray? From being with Elijah. Where will you learn how to pray? It's from being with other people who know God and they enjoy praying. They pray. And it isn't polished prayers. Men, we met yesterday and we simply let the scripture inform our prayers and the spirit fill our prayers and then we pray back. We're not waiting on impressing somebody because we're not that impressive anyway. I don't care who we are. We are simply coming together in small groups that launch this week and we spend time, not just somebody close in prayer, but let's intercede, let's go before the throne of grace and let's pray. And I don't really care what people think about my ability to pray because I'm not praying to you. Even if you got your pastor in your group, so what? I didn't die for you and I didn't rise again. I didn't shed my blood for you. And the one who shed his blood for you and rose again, he's stooping down to listen to you. What do you care what anybody else thinks of your prayer life? If he says, come talk to me, you're invited. If he throws the door open through Jesus Christ and his blood and his cross and resurrection, then there's no one who can close that door to you. So why then would we not rush in and fight our battles on our knees in prayer? And don't we have some battles going on in our minds, hearts, lives, families, nation, world? Are we responding in prayer? James 5, 17, Elijah was a man. Now, now I, I wanted to get to this last week, but the message was just long enough, okay? My introduction today might just well be a sermon, but here we go, okay? <laughs> Elijah was a man with a nature like, yeah, he reminds me of my pastor. Yeah. A nature like ours. I'm sorry, I didn't see that coming. That, that we could say Elijah was like me. He has a nature like ours. He had struggles, and it happened after that account last week, and we just, we've passed over, but it's there. That's why I'm, you're in your Bibles. You can go back and read it, because Jezebel says you're going to die, and he runs scared for his life, praying, God, kill me now. What happened to the mighty guy? He has a nature like yours and mine. His heart is prone to wander. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Let that encourage your prayer life. That you're not waiting, and God isn't waiting for you to be like, uh, you know, Elijah and, and perform some amazing thing and fire from heaven. And now, no. He was a man of fervent prayer and God answered his prayer and God will answer your prayers and he'll answer my prayers. Elijah was a man of prayer and so Elisha became a man of prayer. Our third distinctive of this church, what is it? Fervent prayer. That believing not in the power of prayer. Okay, throw all those screensavers and bumper stickers away. We don't believe in the power of prayer because Hindus pray. Okay, Buddhists pray. There's no one listening when the prophets of Baal cut themselves praying their God was not. No one heard, no one answered, no one was listening. Okay? We believe in the power of, say it, God. Okay, that's what severs. So therefore, we're devoted to praying boldly without ceasing. 
That's when you're driving into work, Lord, I'm thinking of our missionary partners. I'm thinking of my family. I for sure need to pray for my pastor and his family. Lord, help him, all right? Whatever we're praying, we lift it up. We believe fervently, without ceasing. So what then do we pray for? Okay, that's what we want to unpack. Believing that our God hears and answers prayer, well, then what are we going to pray for? So we will pray for what? Well, I'm glad you asked the question. Here we go. Number one, the plans of the enemy to be exposed. Okay, the plans of the enemy to be exposed. This is, this is important for us to pray. And we see this in our text. You've got your Bibles open there, 2 Kings chapter 6. Beginning at verse 8. Once, when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, At such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God, Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel, Joram or Jehoram, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used to warn him so that he saved himself there more than once or twice, time and time and time again. It just kept happening. Elisha is out here at this place named Dothan. Okay, This is interesting. There's going to be a picture come on the screen about Dothan. That's the place where Joseph, his dad, sent him. Go check on your brothers. And he goes out and he tries to find them. And somebody says, oh, they're over in a place called Dothan or Doten, all right? Um, and you're going to find them out there. And they find And there's a well there. Now, this is deep in Palestine, so it's hard to find good pictures uh, for this. But I, this picture is so important that we see. This is the Tel Tell, that's the, the hill where there's a city over time and a city falls and the next city and it falls and it just keeps on getting bigger. That's a, that's a T-E-L, that's a tell, all right? It says it right there, tell Dothan, Dothan, all right? This is deep in Palestinian authority, so there's not a lot of tourism that happens there. You can't go there. Uh, the sources that I usually go to to find, you know, uh, good pictures and so forth, they're not allowed in there. They can't go there. But you look at this. This is where Joseph was put in a well, and then along comes in that trade route, and his brothers sell him into slavery right outside of this area. And then we, f we find that this is where Elisha is. So it's up in northern Israel. It's outside of Samaria. And this is where, if you look, we're going to see this unfold that Elisha and his servant, they are on this city, and then they look out, and this massive army's coming, and they're surrounding this tell, like, ha, 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 we have him now. There's no getting away now. But in between that mighty army and Elisha and the people and the man of God and his servant, he will see there's some things stronger. There's a group more powerful. And we're going to see that unfold, but don't let that picture escape your mind because they stood somewhere there and saw this happen in that location. Huh. Loved ones, we're all entangled in the oldest war. I want you to write that down in your notes. We're all entangled in the oldest war. Okay. And that is a rebellion against God. 
We read of it in Scripture. Satan rebelled against the Lord. He wanted to be like the Most High, Isaiah 14, 14 says. Then in the garden, after that beautiful wedding and Eve is presented to Adam, then that's the first time you see rebellion that Satan attacks that first home, that first marriage, and Adam is passive there. Okay? I say this often, and men, I'm speaking in love. I love you, but we need men of God to stand up and shepherd their families. We need men of God who will not be just dictators in their home, but lovingly shepherd their families and say with Joshua, as for me and my house, this is the direction we're going. And lead that way in love. Adam was there, but Adam didn't protect his wife. He was passive. Well, if mom ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Okay? That's Adam. Don't be like Adam. The Bible says in Genesis 3, 6, she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he said, okay. And when God came in the cool of the day, he said, Adam... We well, think God didn't know that Eve partook first? And who did he entrust as his viceroy in the garden to you represent my rule on this planet? You protect this garden from any attack, and Adam didn't do it. So he came saying, Adam, hey, man, where are you? So I keep echoing that, man, men, Son of Adam, where are you? And if we have been redeemed by Christ, then we have, some, we have a force. We have the Spirit living in us to stand and do what's right. So then we get to the Old Testament. We see king after king after king. You see rivalry. You see rebellion. All the kings of earth, they're fighting to be king of the world. King of Israel is Jehoram. He's not even mentioned in this text because he's not important who the king is. What the important aspect of this text is, is who is the man of God trusting in? Who reigns over all kings? God's chosen people are fractured. They're in the northern kingdom. They're separated from the royal line of David there. They're mixing Baal worship with the worship of Yahweh. We looked at that, that last week where Jeroboam set up the two places. Don't go back to Jerusalem. Don't go back down into the southern kingdom. Your heart will be turned away from me and you'll put me to death. That's because that's what they were supposed to do. Because he was leading them into false worship. Here's a man up in the northern kingdom. But then you have the king of Syria, and it's probably Ben-Hadad II, might be the first. He's not mentioned here. And during this period of time, there were many bands of raiders, all right? You think about the raiders. The, you know, they were pirates, land pirates, raiders. And they would go in, and they would take an area, and they would, be ter they would terrorize the area. They would plunder the area. They would kill the men, take the women and children, and haul them back home, take resources, Plundering. In, in 2 Kings 5, we're introduced to a servant girl that's in Syria, and her master comes down with, he's this mighty captain of the Syrian army, and then there's this footnote, and he has leprosy. He has a death sentence on him. So all of his accomplishments, all of his military might, all of his strength, it's really worth nothing because he has leprosy. He cannot heal himself, and he's tried everything. And the servant girl who was stolen by him and his team lives in his house, 
okay? This is what we know now as trafficking humans. That now you, sell, you, you capture humans. They disappear often even at the border and you can't find them and then they're brought into child labor or sex slavery, and our politicians and people in power are looking the other direction or they're connected or whatever is going on, the Lord knows it all crystal clear. But something is wrong. And people have to stand up and say, something's wrong here. Something's not right here. This girl was stolen from her home, stolen from her family. She sees her master with leprosy, and she tells her master's wife, whom she took care of, hey, if my master was back in home, you know we have a prophet of God there. He could heal him. Do you know we have no record of that even happening? This little girl out of nowhere says, I've seen all your gods. I've seen all your worship. Let me tell you, you haven't seen true worship. Man of God back home. That's where it happens. And so the king of Syria writes a letter. Hey, take this with you, my captain, and go to the king of Israel, and you tell him, you tell him to heal you. And so that captain goes back. He has the letter for the king. Here's the letter from the king. The king of Israel rips his clothes. Am I God? I can't heal anybody. And Elisha is at his house. Send message to the king. Put your clothes back on and send the guy to me. Okay? <laughs> Nobody needs to see that. Put your clothes back on. And so the guy comes to Elisha. Elisha doesn't even go to the door of his house with this mighty man at his door. He sends Gehazi. Gehazi, go tell him to dip seven times in the Jordan River. Gehazi says seven times, Jordan River. And he's offended. He's mad. This servant. All over these texts are servants, servants, servants. And then that captain is on his way back. He's mad and he has his servant say, hey, if he would have asked you to do something difficult, don't you, don't you think he would have done that? He's asking you to go dump, you know, go jump in the river seven times. Yeah, it's nasty. But what do you have to lose except your pride and how about that leprosy? And he does. One, two, three, four, five, six, no change, seven. And he comes up and he's radically different. And then... He goes back to Elisha, and then Gehazi gets greedy. Elisha says, I don't want your money. I don't do the work of God for money, for power, for fame. And Gehazi's like, what? And he follows him, and then that word goes back. He says, actually, uh, some guys showed up. Can we have some of those clothing and silver? That'd be great. Hey, just put it out here in the outpost. Of, you know, just, I got it. Thank you, and Mary, on your way. And Gehazi is put out. The leprosy of Naaman is put on Gehazi and his family, and that's all in 2 Kings 5. It's all there. But then he goes back. So the testimony goes back, and it goes back to Syria. There is a living God in Israel, and the little servant girl was a witness to that, and so she's changed some things about Syria, but this is all still going on. And the king, he's sending, and all these raids are coming in, and every single time, all of his plans are found out. Every single time, he's like, let's go over here. And then Elisha sends word, um, he's going to be over there on the corner of. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> Dang it. And let's go over there. Hey, he's over there now. Surprise! It's like, this is not going well. Who are we fighting for to be king? So we can look at these old kings 
And we can see them fighting for power, and we can see people in our day fighting for power, but let me ask us a more personal question. Who rules your life? Who rules your heart? Who rules your attitudes and your finances and your morality? Who's in charge of you? Is it the king of kings and lord of lords or is it little king me? Because little king me has a little kingdom that has a short shelf life. It's not glorious. I don't care who you are. I don't care how talented you are. Our little kingdoms will come to an end quickly. Whose kingdom are we devoted to? Ephesians 6, 12, Paul writes about this wrestling. Ephesians 6, 12, he says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against cosmic powers, over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There is a huge force of evil that is going on. But listen now, let her be to God's people belongs the ultimate advantage. You see, we have a refuge in the all-knowing God. To God's people, if I could have that on the screen, please, belongs the ultimate advantage. Not just an advantage. You watched tennis this, this last week? Advantage. No, this is the ultimate advantage. We take refuge in the all-knowing God. Elisha kept repeatedly sharing top-secret information, classified information, more than once, meaning time after time. God chose to rescue his rebellious people. They didn't deserve it, but he's showing his love for them, his love and his mercy. So this troubled the Syrian king. The Bible says he was greatly troubled. Why? Because he thought one of his own was a traitor. He thought one of his cabinet was selling out, was giving all the information to the Israelite king. Somebody's leaking this information, not just once, but time after time after time. And I don't know if he narrowed down, started off with 12 in the meeting and dropped it down to 10, dropped it down to three, and it's still getting leaked out. And he is upset. He's frustrated greatly troubled. That's a whirlwind, all right? When your king is in a whirlwind, what happens to everybody else under his authority? It's all, look out. He carries a sword, okay? So he believes somebody is committing treason here. Somebody is a sellout. Somebody's a turncoat, and they are close to me. Somebody is being like Judas. Remember what it says in the New Testament, Jesus, when Judas came in the garden, Luke twenty two forty eight, 48, Judas... In Matthew, he says, friend, Judas, would you betray the son of man with a kiss? Okay, if anyone has betrayed you that is close to you, you know that hurts more than any comment somebody says passing you on the road. Who is that? I don't know. But when someone is close to you and they betray you with a kiss, that, that signifying of we're close. We're in a relationship. I care about you or I guess not. Achan tried to hide all those stolen goods under his tent from Jericho. Nothing's hidden from God. Nothing. Everything is open and exposed to his all-seeing eye. 
The scriptures tell us this plainly. Hebrews 4.13, and the writer says this, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Loved ones, one day you and I will stand before the Lord and there will be no covering over all that we have done. Are you clothed in the righteousness of Christ or are you clothed in your own good works? I'm trying, I'm doing, I'm, I'm this, I'm that. It's insufficient. There's nothing hidden. 2 Corinthians 5.10, Paul writes, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. This sobers us up. We don't continue in sin that grace may abound. Oh, I'm a Christian. It's okay. It's all paid for. Something sounds wrong with that. We don't take advantage, take for granted the goodness of the Lord. We're all in need of divine rescue. Our hope is in the living word of God. So Paul is writing that these weapons that we have as the people of God, we, are not, we don't fight with swords. We have something more powerful than that. 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 3, he writes to the church, he says, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And here's my prayer. Take every thought captive to obey Christ. I'm going to read that again. Take every thought captive to obey Christ. Being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. See what happens when our hearts are changed? I want every thought captive to Christ. I don't want to leave my mind just open for whatever to fill it. No, I... I want to have a closed mind, hold to what is true. And this is what Paul is saying. And punish, get rid of disobedience when your obedience is complete. There's a, there's a growth there. So we pray that God will be glorified and we pray for the plans of the enemy to be exposed. But secondly, we pray for the power of the enemy to be neutralized. All right, it's one thing to know the plan. Wouldn't that be sad if you had... If you were a football coach and you knew the entire playbook of the opponent, you know, maybe you were his assistant the year before and he didn't change anything, and then you show up like, I have the whole playbook, guys. Here it is. Let's go. And you still lose? <laughs> like, oh, man. We knew what they were going to do and they just pounded us and rolled over us. That's discouraging. We actually pray for the power of the enemy to be neutralized. Because no one is more powerful than our God. Okay? Nothing is hidden from our God, and no one is more powerful than our God. Loved ones, this is where he, uh, in verse 11. All right, 2 Kings 6, verse 11. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing, and he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king. But Elisha, the prophet who's in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. Oh, I've heard about this Elisha. 
my, my captain went there and was healed of his leprosy. I know, I've heard this story. I know who you're talking about. Verse 13, and he said, go and see where he is that I may send and seize him. Oh, that's a good plan, king. He was told, and behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent their horses and chariots and a great army. And they came, here, this is gonna help. They came by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed, underline that, and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, check this out, don't miss this, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. When the Syrians came down against him, Elisha, here it is again, prayed to the Lord and said, please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. This is incredible. Verse 19, and Elisha said to them, this is not the way and this is not the city. Follow me. I'll bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria, capital city. Loved ones, the human heart is incredibly stubborn and proud. And we see this in full display here. The human heart, your heart, my heart, incredibly stubborn and proud. And I'm not just talking about your spouse or your children. <laughs> they would be thinking about you, right? It's each of us. I'm the one with the problem. The human heart is incredibly stubborn and proud. Here, the king of Syria, he demonstrates human ignorance and arrogance against the mighty hand of God. All right, here's the plan. I'm the king. I'm in charge. Let's find Elisha. All right, we found him. Okay, where is he? He's in Dothan. Okay, let's send a great army. Not some little band. Let's send the whole, let's send a great army down there. And, and this time, bring the chariots, the horses. Bring it all. Let's go. Okay. Oh, and one more thing. Let's go at night. Let's sneak up on him. All right. King of Syria, he doesn't get it. He doesn't see. Elisha's servant, he doesn't get it. He doesn't see. He's struck with fear. He gets up. What's he doing? You know, wakes up, ah, opens the windows, and then you saw that picture. And there's a great army, chariots, soldiers, horses all around them. How would you respond? You know? <laughs> hey, Elisha, what's God going to do today? That's what I'd say. <laughs> Liar. We would be like him. Oh, I didn't want to die today. Like, don't, don't, make the, don't polish this up. He understood what enemy nations did to enemy nations. He didn't want to die that day. And that's what he thinks is going to happen. This guy who's been present for all the prayer meetings, 
this guy who's been present with everything and his eyes are still blind to who God is and what God can do. And you know what I want to know is how does Elisha and God respond to this guy who should know better? Because shouldn't I know better? Why do I respond this way? News headlines. Why do I respond like this? Ah, panic. All hope is lost. Abandon ship. We're not even on a ship. How does Elisha treat this servant who is lacking eyes of faith? He treats him with grace and kindness and truth. Hey, 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 don't be afraid. What do you mean, don't be afraid? You don't know my anxiety here. Don't be afraid. You're putting faith and trust in the wrong person. Can't hold you up. Can't bear the weight of your soul up. That's why it'll let you down. You'll fall apart. You have to put your trust in the living God. It's okay. There's more with us than there with them. And then he prays. He prays for him. Oh, Lord. Notice that he, it's not a flowery, fancy prayer. It's simply, oh, Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. Do you, do you hear what I'm saying to some who are very concerned about what others may think about your praying? Do you hear the man of God's prayer? Oh, Lord, open his eyes so you can see. See, if you grew up in a church that everything had bells and whistles and incense and all kinds of high, you know, where God seems so far removed, how can I? Well, he is, but he's come near in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we don't deserve to be able to cry out to him, Abba, Father. But Jesus opened the door. Our older brother, our elder brother opened the door and made it possible for us to go in. So somebody said, you know, um, well, you know if your dad was the president, wouldn't you, wouldn't you dress up if you were, not if it was your dad. You know, if you're going to meet the president, wouldn't you dress up? Wouldn't that be important? Yeah, but what if it's your dad? See, this is how we can approach the throne with honor, with humility, with, with grace, but we can go with boldness, Hebrews tells us, tells us, to the throne of grace, and that's where we find mercy to help in a time of need. And God answered his prayer. The hand of God is powerful and moved by our prayers. The hand of God is powerful. And it is moved by our prayers. Spurgeon said it this way, prayer is the slender nerve that moves the muscles of omnipotence. Yeah, Spurgeon said that. If I could say one thing like that in my life. That's what prayer is. So then, let me just make this personal. Why don't I pray more? Why do I worry so much? Why do I fret so much? Why do I... Give so much time to just anxiety and stress and stressing and more stress over stress. Why don't I let that just drive me in prayer to the Lord? Lord, what about the economy and the building? And we were supposed to be building in the building. And Lord, you know where we're at. You know what we need. And you know who needs to be part of this composite picture to see this work done. So do it. Uh, I've heard it. Do it again been walking around that 30 mile for quite a few years now. Uh, what we read, do it again. Do it here. In your timing, in your way, but do it. James 5, 16. Therefore, 
confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And do you remember from earlier in the message, 517 and Elijah with a nature like ours. He prayed three and a half years, no rain. And then he prayed and rain poured out. It's connected to our lives, to being honest with one another instead of telling everybody everything's fine, wonderful, great, when it isn't. But that we're able to engage in a small group community and be honest with one another. And actually, I'm struggling. It's not all together. And I don't have to be polished. I just need you to pray for me because I'm struggling with fear. I'm struggling with sin. I'm struggling with doubt. I'm struggling with anger. I'm struggling with my job. I'm struggling in my family. Will you pray for me? And what will we do? We'll pray. And we leave thinking how much really changed. Well, we turn to the one who can change everything. And that is enough for us. And we trust him. Notice that the Syrian army was not struck down by the sword, but instead they were struck by blindness. Don't miss this account. This is a very unusual account. That here's the man of God. Here's the servant of God. He knows the power of the angels, these mighty chariots of fire. Angels, there they are. There's the chariots of fire, God's messengers, and there's the enemy. I mean, come on now. If you're that quarterback and you got angels of fire, chariots of fire between you and the enemy, you're like, I think we're going to score every time. Like, hike. I'm walking. <laughs> like, this isn't even going to be hard. And so if you're Elisha's servant, you're like, whoa, fire. Remember the disciples? Lord, call down fire from heaven and destroy that unbelieving city over there. No, I didn't come for fire. I came for that fire to be poured out on me so that those people in that city can come to faith in me and have their sins forgiven and I can share eternity with them and all my glory. And the disciples, what's he talking about? Who, what, what? Here's the servant, what's gonna happen? And he says, Lord, strike them, but strike them with what? Not a sword, not with this mighty army. In a moment, they're done. Strike them with blindness. Strike them with blindness. Now, I don't care who you are, you can be the strongest person there is. And if you're going up against me and you're blind, I'm going to have an advantage. Many people were watching the whole build-up to Monday Night Football. Quarterback used to be in hometown Green Bay, you know, over in Wisconsin, homeland. Goes to New York. Everybody's hope, 75 seconds into the game. And I'm a better quarterback at that moment than he is. <laughs> they did not pay him anything, though, and they didn't call me. Achilles is blown. Has to be helped off the field. Painful rehabilitation to come. In a moment, here's this mighty army, and all of a sudden, waiting on the signal, blow the trumpet, let's go get the prophets up there. There's his servant. Wait a second. I can't see. I can't either. I can't see. I can't either. They're just standing there. I don't know what to do. We've got a chariot. We've got a horse. We've got weapons. I can't see. Elisha comes out. Servant, ready? Yeah? 
Hey, come on. Morning, everybody. Hey, you guys, you're in the wrong place. Let me, let me lead you where we're going. Okay, come on. Hook all the chariots up, whatever they did. Hold the rope like you do with kindergarten. You know, everybody hold the rope. Hold the rope. Johnny, get back on the rope. Here we go. And they just make their way following. Now, put yourself in the servant's shoes now. Whoa, what are we doing? What's happening here? This is incredible. There's an immediate shift of advantage right there. All the momentum was coming this way, and then, and then they all can't see. We just lost our advantage. The surprise attack at night it didn't work. Now we can't see. It's like it's pitch black dark. We can't see anything. Ephesians 3.20, Paul says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. God of the Old Testament is God of the New Testament. That power is at work in us. What sin are we enslaved to still? No. James 4.2, James just gets real. You do not have because you do not ask. And then he goes this. He goes on to say, and what you're asking for, you're asking for the wrong reasons. And God isn't ever going to answer that. He's not ever going to bless that selfish prayer. So we pray that God will be glorified in the plans of the enemies, expose them, Lord, their power, neutralize them. And lastly, the peoples of all nations to be converted. That's our prayer. That's where it's going. And this is a beautiful account in the Old Testament. We are praying that the peoples of all nations, oh God, will we see them converted to Christ? Because no one, no one, no one is more kind and gracious than our God. No one. Oh Lord, will you bring the peoples of all nations to come and worship Jesus, to come to know Jesus? That's our prayer. That's why we say in our fourth distinctive, courageous evangelism that we will boldly share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And our fifth is, has everything to do with our children's ministry, our youth ministry, our small group ministry, what we're doing right now, intentionally making disciples locally and around the world. Oh, will God use us? Loved ones, judgment is deserved, but grace is offered. Look there in verse 20. As soon as they entered in, into Samaria, Elisha said, here we are. He's praying again. Watch out. Man of God's praying. Last time he prayed, the lights went out. Oh, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. Boy, that's a deep prayer, isn't it? Lord, open their eyes so they can see. That's the prophet's prayer. So the Lord opened their eyes and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. And as soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, my father, that's a term of respect. Shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? I don't know what to do. Like this isn't how I figured the battle was gonna go here. What am I supposed to do, Elisha? Do you see who's in control here? Who's in charge here? It's king of the universe, and his man is speaking on his behalf, and his name is Elisha, and the king of Israel is getting a front row 
lesson on this. And here's what Elisha answers in verse 22. You shall not strike them down. Come on, king. What are the rules of war here? Would you strike those down whom you've taken captive with your sword and with your bow? You wouldn't do that. Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he, the king of Israel, prepared for them a great feast. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away and they went to their master and the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. You see, judgment is deserved, but grace is offered. And we see this in the Old Testament. This corrects the perception, the wrong perception, who would see that the God of the Old Testament is angry. Oh, the God of the New Testament is love, 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 love. No, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We all deserve the death penalty of sin, but he is ready, willing, and able to save sinners who turn from their sin and trust in him alone. 1 Peter 3.12, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord, that's a term of judgment. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So the question is, where where are you with this God? If you are living in sin, his face is set against you And you are waiting to meet him as judge, but he is leaving you alive for a reason that you might know his grace. Elisha led them straight into the capital city and he prayed, Lord, open their eyes. Listen to Psalm 37, 6 and 7. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Verse seven, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. And what does he do? do? He delivers them. See, they came to conquer and instead they were taken captive. That is a failure. They thought they had the advantage and they didn't. No one does over our God. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. No one has an advantage over the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 3, 9, because some people, well, you know, I think God is weak. And why does God let that happen? And why does God let the other happen? And and if I was God, be careful. This is what Peter says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness. But here's what you're missing. He's patient. He's patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. You see, the very person that is saying, I think God is weak. When I stand before him, I've got something to say to him. They don't realize he's merciful to them. He's patient with them. They deserve judgment, but grace, grace is available. It's offered to them. The king of Israel, he's under the complete command of the prophet of God. My father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? What are the rules of engagement here? No. Show them how kind our God is. Sit them down and feed them a meal. Give them a banquet. Give them the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Give them what he is ready, willing, and able to do for anyone who comes to him. Now imagine that day inside the city of Samaria. And they're just serving up this massive feast, this spread. So in that day, Elisha's servant, ah, I'm gonna die today. No, you're not gonna die today. There's more with us than with them. Come on, guys, come on. You're blind, I know, follow me. What's going to happen to us? What's going to happen to us? Am I ever going to see my wife again? Am I ever going to see my children again? I'm never going to see my home again. Inside the city, all right, Lord, open their eyes. Oh, we're going to die. 
And then the question is asked, should we kill them? Should they die? No. They deserve to die. And so do you, king of Israel. So do you, everybody around Samaria. And so do I, quite honestly, Elisha could say, and the servant, and me, and you. But instead, put out a feast. Feed them with the kindness and the grace of the living God. Genesis 3, or Galatians 3.8 this is what Paul wrote, he said in the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel before to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. You see that that's happening inside the walls of Samaria that day? They're receiving a blessing. These are the people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and there's a blessing. Romans 2, 4, Paul writes, or do you presume, presume on the riches of his kindness and the forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness has meant you to, to lead you to repentance? He's so kind. Do you know him as kind? It's meant to lead you to repentance. So what do we do then? If we're going to see the peoples of all nations converted, then we preach Christ and God opens blind eyes. That's what our job is. We preach Christ and God opens blind eyes. It's the only way to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. It's to be centered on Christ in our proclamation not centered on me, not centered on doubts, not centered on anything that is polling, but centered on Christ. He is the hope of the world. Elisha was a faithful runner of Jesus. Even in the New Testament, Elijah came in the John the Baptist. And they knew after this type of Elijah, and John came and he's preparing the way for the one that would come like Elisha came after Elijah and Jesus came after John. And John says, he must increase. And I, I can take the back seat the furthest, the furthest back you can find. And Jesus came. And the world needs Jesus. And in John chapter nine, we meet the blind man. And Jesus gives him sight. And then he's called in uh, to the temple. What happened? And the blind man is the only one that can see in the middle of all those religious leaders. And they begin to lecture him and they're angry with him and then they get his parents to come in. And his parents are like, hey, you know, I don't know, he's, a, he's an adult, ask him. They didn't want to be kicked out of the temple. Everything that was important to them, their whole upbringing, their history, their heritage. In John 9 and verse 24, so for the second time they called the man who had been blind and he said to them, they said to this guy, give glory to God. All right, this is real spiritual talk here. We know that Jesus is a sinner. This man is a sinner. Verse 25, he answered the man born blind who now can see. Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. But one thing I do know that I was blind, now I see. And that's what I know. The first day I've been able to see is today, fellas. How'd that happen? They said to him, what did he do to you? And how did he open your eyes? 27, John 9, he answered them, I've told you already and you wouldn't listen. Whew, he's throwing some shade now. He's turning it up. He's getting heated. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Verse 28, and they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, speaking of Jesus, we do not know where he comes from. Now listen to this. This blind guy, and this is what I was thinking of this whole, and he says this. Hmm. Why, this is an amazing thing. 
You do not know where he, where Jesus comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. 32, now listen to this. Listen to the, just carefully. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. Those men that day in that army weren't born blind. They could see early that morning and then they lost their sight and they were given their sight back. And this man knows his history. And this man says to them, we've never heard of someone being born blind given their sight back. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Here's their response. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, true. And would you teach us? Get out of here. Do you know, loved ones, that is the response of person after person when they hear the gospel down through the ages. How dare you, anybody speaking the gospel, tell me anything? Get out of here. But he was speaking the truth. So loved ones, here's what we're praying for based on this study of this word. And as we gather in small groups, we're praying, Lord, will you expose the plans of the enemy? Will you neutralize the power of the enemy? And will you allow us to see, and we're praying to this end, we're praying for the peoples of all nations to be converted. That's our prayer. And we can't do this on our own. But in the power of the gospel and in the power of the Holy Spirit, that's absolutely what the church has been doing for 2,000 years. And we will pray to that end. And we will spend and let our lives be spent to that end. Because that's investing your life, your one life for eternity. And it never comes back void. So what's your next step today, loved ones, to follow Christ on mission? What's your next step? And this is what I want to make this personal. Who is the person in your life that you would say, they don't deserve kindness from me? They don't deserve kindness from me. How can you show them the kindness of the Lord today? Because you and I didn't deserve the kindness of the Lord either. And in Christ, he showed us grace and mercy. And he'll show you that today. If you have never admitted your sin and trusted in Jesus, then let today be the day where he opens your eyes and you see Christ in all of his beauty. And you lay down your life and you find life in him that never ends. Let's stand together. Oh, Father in heaven, I deserve for you to conquer me, punish me for my sin. But instead, Christ came and he was punished in my place. Oh, God, I pray that you will not ever let me forget that, not let us forget that as your people. God, I pray for the one or maybe more who has never turned from their sin and trusted in you. 
they are only looking with physical eyes of flesh at life. Will you today open their eyes to see their condition, their sinful condition, and a Savior who is waiting to save them? And may they trust in you completely. God, use us as a church to proclaim this gospel that all of the plans of the enemy would be exposed, that his power would be neutralized, and that the peoples, all people groups here on earth would come to know Jesus, that we would tell them the gospel and let that start where we live and go to the other side of this planet. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.